In Ruth 3, we have Naomi's directions to Ruth and Ruth's obedience to her mother-in-law. Hear now the reading of God's inspired word, profitable for us, Ruth 3, starting at verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? And now, is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens thou wast? Behold, he winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Wash thyself, therefore, and anoint thee, and put thy raiment upon thee, and get thee down to the floor. But make not thyself known unto the man, until, until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be, when he lieth down, that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and, and uncover his feet, and lay thee down, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. And she said unto her, All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. And she went down unto the floor, and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet, and laid her down. And it came to pass at midnight that the man was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth. Lie down until the morning. And she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another, and he said, Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. Also he said, Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee, and hold it. And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and laid it on her, and she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty unto thy mother-in-law. Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, Ruth chapter 3. Verses 1 through 5 of this chapter, we have Naomi's directions to Ruth to present herself to Boaz for marriage. Notice there verse 1, shall I not seek rest for thee? Now this we find in the Bible is the duty of a father 
toward his daughter to seek rest. And she actually said this, if you recall, to the girls in chapter 1, verse 9. She said, return to your mother's house in Moab, and they'll find you rest. They'll find you a husband. Now she's taking it upon herself, quite a different posture. We see in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 36 through 38, the basic rule that the father is to seek a daughter or to withhold consent to a marriage for his daughter. But if there is no father, who then? Then brothers, we find in the Bible. If no brothers, then who? Then mothers. And if no mothers, who then? Then the mothers-in-law. And this is what is going on in this very passage. Now, the question, shall I not, implies a yes answer in Hebrew. And also, notice verse 2, is not Boaz of our kindred, also implies, yes, he is. It's a, what we call a rhetorical question. The intention is not that you would answer the question like they don't know, but it implies the answer to the question. Yes, I will seek rest for thee, in other words, that it may be well with thee. We see here, again, the duty of parents to dispose their children to their spiritual advantage first, and then to their material advantage in the second place. And so far as their soul prospers, to see that they may prosper and be in health. This is the idea here. Boaz will be a suitable match on both points, a God-fearing man, a man of self-control, as we'll see, but also a man who could provide well for her. And these two are important considerations. Verse 2, she says, is not Boaz of our kindred? Yes, he is. And so, because he is of our kindred, I'm going to seek to match you to him. That's what she's saying. He winnoweth barley tonight in the threshing floor. Now, this is very remarkable. Great men in the ancient world would occasionally actually go do the work. They would often issue orders. And the orders would go to the next in line and the next in line. And then eventually you'd have the people doing the work. What is this man doing? He's working. He is hardworking, though rich and mighty, yet he is ready to do manual labor. He's a humble man, in other words. He is a man who recognizes the value of honest toil. That's what Boaz is. He is also of their kindred. Now, Ruth is instructed to wash herself, therefore, and to anoint herself, and to put thy raiment upon, me, upon thee. In other words, her her nicest clothes, to make herself presentable and acceptable, to beautify herself. And we note that the flower gives a pleasant scent. Why? To draw in the bee, to pollinate the flower, right? And so this is what she is commanded to do. When a woman desires to attract the right kind of man, there are innocent arts that she may use. Now notice, if a girl wants to attract the wrong kind of man, there are wicked arts that she may use. She might dress in the attire of a harlot, as the Proverbs talk about. And then what sort of men will she attract? Well, the sort that consort with harlots, of course. But there are innocent arts, and that's what she's using. That's what she's commanded to use. And this is a, a rebuke to the somewhat overstern piosities of some. Well, you can't use any arts to attract a man. Well, that's not actually biblical. There are specific ways in which a woman can beautify herself to attract the right man in God's providence. 
Though these are not to be used promiscuously, that is, in all cases, there are times and occasions for such. Let us then have discernment, especially young women. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Do not throw yourself at just any man. Well, he's a corpse. He can breathe. He has a pulse. So I'll throw myself on him. That's how some women behave. This is not how Ruth is taught to behave. She goes to a man of wealth who is God-fearing, who looks after her, who has, in fact, a legal duty to marry this woman if the other fails to do so. So he's next in line for marriage, in other words, according to the law of God. So they're half married, you might say, already. And this was done not on her own initiative, rather under parental command and authority. As the flower draws the bee, so beautify yourself and draw this bee in. Verse 4, thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie, and thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down. Now, this may seem somewhat scandalous. It could open up Naomi to giving false orders to her daughter-in-law, or at least that might be perceived in an evil way. That is possible. But when we consider Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 7, there seems to be an implication that the woman can demand marriage of her next of kin. And if the man refuse to do his duty, there can be specific shame rituals that are gone through to say this man won't take up the duty that God has imposed upon him. So it seems as if the woman under Deuteronomy 25 could make a demand of marriage. And there being next of kin, no brother there. You remember how things devolve, right? There's no brother. There's supposed to be a brother. Well, what's next? The next of kin, perhaps a cousin or something of that sort. Someone who is next in line, close enough that they have a duty now to marry this girl and to raise up seed for the dead. That's what this is talking about. And that's why she's told that Boaz is her next of kin. He has a duty to perform to you. She's within her legal rights. But notice still, verse 4, he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Naomi has confidence in the character of Boaz that he would not violate her chastity or her good name, and that he would very likely take up the office that God imposed upon him. She has confidence in Boaz in this matter. And notice the response of Ruth. Does she say, let me think about it. Don't you tell me what to do. You're in no position to tell me how I should marry. Is that what she says? All that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Her mother-in-law has issued commands to her, and she is ready to universally apply this to action. And notice, she doesn't just say she'll do it. She actually does it precisely as she is taught and commanded. I note then that the fifth commandment requires universal obedience to parents. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Now notice, universal obedience being well-pleasing to the Lord means that parents cannot command their children to sin. How could that be pleasing to God? If your parents taught you and commanded you to steal so that the family had bread, would that be pleasing to God who says, thou shalt not steal? 
So there is some exception, you might say, to this duty of obedience. But in all lawful matters, or even in indifferent matters, parents may command their children and they should expect obedience. This duty is universally stated for that very reason, so that we need to have an exception to this rule. And this rebukes the pride, the self-will, the vanity and conceit of our own independence and wisdom. This is what children have. This is what is naturally inborn in children because of the fallen nature of man. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I know better than mom and dad. And so we want to be independent. We want to follow our own vain conceits of our wisdom. We will not listen to our superiors. Children obey as Ruth obeyed. She, listen, is an adult woman. She's already been married. She's now widowed. And yet, she recognizes the duty that she owes as she lives in the same place with her mother-in-law. She's willing to submit herself to her orders. She is humble. She is obedient. She does not drag her feet or make excuses as to why she doesn't have to do what she is told. Ruth then, in verses 6 through 15, obeys very punctually all that Naomi gave her to do. She did according to all, verse 6. It was her husband's mother who commanded her. That's what this word means, mother-in-law. Not her mom even, but she's willing to submit. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, as God says, Psalm 104, verse 15, wine that maketh glad the heart of man, the sleep of a laboring, laboring man is sweet. Ecclesiastes 5.12, Boaz has been working hard and now he's ready for rest. And when he notes her, he was afraid and turned himself. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He grasped and twisted his covers, not sure what exactly was going on, as you might be awakened and be frightened when someone wakes you in the middle of the night. So Boaz is frightened. What is going on? A woman was there. Ruth identifies herself as his handmaid, slave girl, a humble position, a humble name, a title she gives to herself out of respect to him. And she requests that he spread his skirt over his handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Now this word kinsman is very important. Ga'al, it means a redeemer, someone who raises your fortunes who brings you up out of bondage and who redeems you so that you might be free, so that you might have rest, so that it might be well with you. Now the spreading of the skirt God describes as a marital act. Take me under your protection. Take me under the coverage of your household, in other words. Protect me, save me, redeem me. And Boaz acts as a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, our kinsman redeemer, flesh of our flesh, bone of our bone. Why? So that he might redeem us from the curse of the law, so that all of our debts might be what? Forgiven. So that we might have our inheritance. So that he might raise up a seed upon the land. Let us rejoice in the wisdom of God in these types and shadows these historic representatives of our redemption in Jesus Christ. Was Boaz a real person? Yes. Did these things actually happen? Yes. 
Is that the end of the story? No. God is teaching us things through these histories, through these events, through these people, through their actions about his purposes of salvation. Let us admire the infinite wisdom of, our, of Almighty God. Men could not have written the book had they wanted to, and they could not have done so anyways. The wisdom of God is on full display. The gospel set before us in the actions and histories of men. Seemingly insignificant people. A slave girl, right? A widow from a foreign land who has to go around and beg people to come after their they're taking of their crops and get the little handfuls that are left. And yet God teaches us lessons about his son and his redeeming work. Boaz says to her in verse 10, thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. Boaz is an old man an older man than her for sure. And notice, Naomi was shown much kindness by Ruth. And yet here, even greater kindness is shown. Ruth could have gone to any of the young men of Bethlehem or beyond and sought for a husband, but did she? No, she goes to this older man. And note verse 11, Boaz's respect for the law of God, I will do to thee all that thou requirest, now, ordinarily, does a woman have a right to tell a man what to do? Do wives have the right to command their husbands? Well, much less if they're not even married, should they command a man. But God has the right to command Boaz, and Boaz knows it. God has a law, a statute outstanding, and he requires that I marry her, unless the other goes first. And that's how Boaz approaches it. God's law is supreme over human relationships. And though uh, Ruth's manner of expression is all suited to her lesser status, she calls him her Lord, yet she has a right to make a claim under God because God has issued that law. And Boaz will recognize the law of God and not dig in his heels and say, you're not going to tell me what to do. The order is that the husband commands the wife so who are you to require of me to do this and such? No, God requires Boaz to do this and he will submit himself to the law of God. Let us learn to submit to the voice of God regardless of who echoes his voice. Well, I don't have to listen to you, but are they telling you something that's good and true and right? then you ought to listen and you ought to do for the sake of the goodness and the rightness of the thing, not for the sake of the person who delivers it to you. She is called a virtuous woman by Boaz. The whole gate of his people, from the elders sitting in the gate, they all know that you are a woman of wealth, of virtue, of strength and efficiency, as this word means. She was submissive, dutiful, loyal, and had the strength that a woman needs to accomplish the tasks God gave to her. This is what feminine virtue looks like. But notice, there is a kinsman nearer than I, Boaz says. Now this is very important. Does it not seem like an open door? The woman presents herself to him and says, please marry me according to the law of God. And what does Boaz do? Jump on the opportunity, say, well, let's go. Let's get this done. No, he doesn't actually. He says, first, 
I must honor God, and second, I'll deal with you. You see that? God's law first, human relationship second. That's Boaz's posture. I would like to marry you. I know you are virtuous, but there's a legal thing that God said, and his word is supreme over my desires. What I want doesn't matter. What might seem good to me, what might seem like an open door, and people say, God told me I should do blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? Do you have a scripture for that? Did God tell you to do that in his word? Well, Boaz had a scripture for that. God said, it's the next of kin. And he says, there's one nearer than I. And unless he denies this, I can't do it. There's no way I can do it before God. If he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman well. Did you catch that? That's fine if he does it. If he's willing to do it, I will accept the decree of providence under the law of God. Let him do the kinsman's part. Boaz is not rushed about by passion or youthful lust. He's willing to submit both to scripture and to God's providence in how he disposes the events. Let us learn these companion duties. One, submit to the voice of God in Scripture. And two, submit to the decree of providence displayed by the falling out of events. That's what he's doing. God says, this is the case. I will submit to it even if I don't want it, even if I want the opposite. Lie down, he tells her, until the morning. He does not fornicate with her. He does not precipitate the marriage he abides the providence of God. He observes the rules of chastity stated in Scripture. So she lay at his feet until the morning, and she rose up before one could know another. Her chastity was intact. This is amazing when you consider especially the temptation with the woman right there. No. He preserves her chastity. Should we put ourselves in such situations? No, I don't think it's wise in the least. But did God in his providence preserve her? Yes, he did. And he preserved Boaz from falling into foolishness. She goes when there is enough light to see where you're going, but not enough to recognize anyone. Again, to preserve not only his conscience by refraining from fornication, but also to pre preserve her good name. And his own good name. He has a good conscience, but he also wants a good name, so he sends her away when it's still dark. That's what it says in verse 14. Let it not be known that a woman came into the floor. So she brings her veil, that is her apron or her girdle, as Jerome has it, a little cloak or a hood. And that cloak took up the grain, six measures, perhaps of an ephah, if that were 10 measures for an ephah, then this would be about three or four gallons. She takes it home to her mother-in-law. Who art thou, her mother-in-law asks her. Are you married, in other words? Has he married you already? Naomi may not recognize there's another nearer of kin. So she tells her, Naomi does, sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. This is very good advice leading to peace and contentment. Sit still, be still, know that the Lord is God. He will dispose as he sees fit, and the matter will fall out according to God's providence. And thus far, the explanation of Ruth, chapter 3, the gospel in a history form.